They prostrated themselves and did him homage. Then they opened their treasures and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Words taken from today's Holy Gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. On July 20th, 1944, a German colonel was scheduled to have a strategy meeting with Adolf Hitler and other members of the high command regarding the war with the Allies. Unbeknownst to that tyrant, Hitler, the colonel was actually a leader in the anti-Nazi resistance movement bent on assassinating the Fuhrer. In the colonel's hand was a briefcase filled with two small bombs, each with a chemical timer that could be set with a detonation delay once they had been activated. The location of the strategy meeting had been changed at the very last minute from the underground concrete Fuhrer bunker to a small wooden barracks above ground. The colonel entered, eating, entered into the meeting area, but soon told Hitler's butler that he needed to visit the men's room. While there, the colonel began the difficult task of arming both bombs, which was further complicated by the fact that he had lost his left eye, his whole right hand, and two fingers of his left hand when he was injured in a battle for North Africa in 1943. Somebody knocked at the bathroom door, urging him to hurry back into the meeting. The colonel was only able to arm one of the bombs and placed it under an oak conference table, not too far away from Hitler himself. After a few more minutes, the colonel excused himself from the meeting again and awaited the explosion. From what he saw from a distance, the colonel was totally convinced that Adolf Hitler was dead. Although four people did die, and Hitler was injured, but not seriously so. It seems that the change in location, and there being only one bomb used, as well as the thickness of the oak table used at the meeting, prevented a successful assassination attempt. The next afternoon, July 21st, 1944, at 1 o'clock, the colonel and other co-conspirators were executed by means of a firing squad. The colonel's own brother, also a member of the resistance, was executed by means of slow strangulation. The colonel's wife and children were sent off to a concentration camp at Dachau, and they were only spared their lives because of the arrival of Allied armies. Now, who was this colonel? And what motivated him to attempt tyrannicide, that is the murdering of a tyrant, Adolf Hitler? His name was Klaus von Stauffenberg. Stauffenberg was born in southern Germany in a region known as Bavaria. He was of noble blood, with his ancestors being part of the aristocracy. He was very well educated, especially in German literature. And as a soldier, Stauffenberg participated in the battles of France, North Africa, and even Operation Barbarossa or the invasion of Russia. Klaus von Stauffenberg was a patriot whose final words before being shot to death were, Long live our sacred Germany. It was not only his love of country that caused him to resist the Nazis to try to kill Hitler. It was also his strong, his very strong Orthodox Catholic faith. In fact, before this practicing Catholic decided to murder the Fuhrer, Stauffenberg consulted the Cardinal Archbishop of Berlin, who informed the colonel that there was nothing in the Gospels 
or church teaching that would prevent him from carrying out his mission of tyrannicide. The night before the assassination attempt, Stauffenberg spent an extensive time in prayer in a chapel before Jesus in the Holy Tabernacle. He was and is a hero of the German resistance and a hero of the Catholic Church. You know, over the past few decades, as we know, a campaign has been waged to harm the Catholic Church, in particular Pope Pius XII of Holy Memory, who has been falsely labeled Hitler's Pope. Despite being recognized by the Israeli government as being a righteous Gentile, who did more than any other person to protect the Jews during the Holocaust, Pope Pius XII has been slandered by anti-Catholic bigots. True historians have estimated that the Catholic Church saved at least 860,000 Jews from extermination, which caused the Jewish-American scientist Albert Einstein to remark, quote, only the Catholic Church protested against the Hitlerian onslaught on liberty. He continues, up till then I had not been interested in the church, but today I feel a great admiration for the Catholic Church, which alone had had the courage to struggle for spiritual truth and moral liberty. And of course, as many of us well know, the chief rabbi of Rome, Israel Zoli, converted to the Catholic faith because of the actions of Pope Pius XII, partly. And when he converted, he took for his baptismal name Eugenio, which, of course, was the baptismal name of Pope Pius XII. Now, the Catholic Church is a big promoter of respecting authority, the authority of God, the authority of Holy Church, the authority of parents and teachers, as well as the authority of various government leaders, even those who aren't particularly good. For in respecting and even obeying lawful authority, we are showing our love for God, from whom all authority comes. On the other hand, various writings of the Catholic Church state that it is morally licit, that is okay to resist an evil leader or even to kill a tyrant. St. Thomas Aquinas, who happens to be the greatest theologian in the history of Holy Church, states the following, quote, He who kills a tyrant to free his country is praised and rewarded, unquote. Now, tyrannicide is defined as killing a tyrant by a community or a private person for the sake of the common good. A tyrant can be one of two things. He has either seized power in the country in an illegal way, which makes him a criminal for usurping power that doesn't belong to him, but a person, a leader, can also become a tyrant after coming to power legally by abusing that power and becoming an oppressor over his fellow citizens. Just as there are conditions for waging a just war or executing a criminal using the death penalty, there are serious conditions that must be met before killing a tyrant. Just because we may not like or support a leader does not mean that we can simply murder him. For tyrannicide to be done, four things are required. Number one, the killing is necessary to end the tyranny and to restore legitimate authority. Number two, that there is no higher authority available that can simply remove the tyrant. Number three, that the killing of the tyrant will not bring about greater evils than allowing him to remain in power. 
And finally, four, that an act of justifiable tyrannicide would have to be an act of last resort where not where no other course of action is available to protect the community. Now, you might be asking, Father, why? Why would you cover the topic of tyrannicide during the Christmas season, especially on Epiphany Sunday, when the kings, those three kings, came to adore the divine child and infant God, Jesus Christ? Well, because the mystery of Christmas, at least partly, is about tyrannicide. The Son of God came into this world to remove a tyrant, namely Satan himself. For those few weeks before Christmas, during the season of Advent, we sang that beautiful hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Well, notice the fourth verse of that beautiful hymn. O come, thou branch of Jesse's tree, free us from Satan's tyranny. Satan was a tyrant in both senses of the word. First, he was a usurper of power after the fall of Adam and Eve. He was not elected to rule over us. He was not appointed a king over us. Rather, he was an unjust tyrant who was allowed by God to reign over us for a time as a punishment for the original sin of Adam. You see, Adam was given lordship over all creation. But with his original sin, he ceded dominion over to Satan himself. Satan became a prince of this world unjustly, but still a prince. Although Satan is the prince of the world, he is not king by right, nor ruler of anything by right. He didn't make the universe. He didn't make the world. He didn't make us. God alone is ultimately our king and Lord. But Satan is also a tyrant in the second sense, for he is the great oppressor and abuser of men. He seeks to enslave us and to abuse us and eventually to bring us to the darkness of eternal oppression and persecution in hell. Our dear Lord, as we know from the Holy Scriptures, is not looking to establish an earthly kingdom, for his kingdom is not of this world. That is, it is not a typical worldly kingdom. He didn't come here to conquer earthly domains. He didn't come here to take our taxes. He didn't come here to take tribute. He didn't come here to establish a standing army. Yes, our dear Lord is king of all. Our dear Lord is Lord of all creation. He's a universal king, but it's not a worldly kingdom. And so therefore, King Herod's reaction to the Christ child's birth is crazy. It's insane. The divine child is not seeking to remove Herod from his throne, but rather to topple Satan from his throne. Notice the difference. Notice the difference between the reactions of King Herod and the three kings from the east. Herod reacts violently, slaughtering all the innocent infant boys of Bethlehem, 72 in all, in his attempt to assassinate the king of kings. The other kings, however, King Caspar and Melchior and Belfazar from the east, they see no threat in Christ's kingship. For they know that Christ has come to topple the devil, not them. They acknowledge that they are rulers, that they have legitimate authority over their own people because God has shared his divine authority with them. And so they offer Christ gold, gold for a king. They offer him frankincense, for Christ is a holy priest. 
And yes, they offer him myrrh, that special element to prepare bodies for, very, for burial. During this Christmas season and during this Epiphany season to come, let us thank the Son of God and Son of Mary for liberating us from the worst of tyrannies, namely the devil's rule. But our Lord will not do this through weapons such as bombs, but rather by the holy wood of the cross. As an aside, I think we all remember the temptation of Satan, rather the temptation of Christ in the desert by Satan. Remember the third particular temptation. He brought our Lord up to a high mountain, and he showed our Lord every kingdom of the earth. And he said to our blessed Lord, all these kingdoms of the earth are mine. And I'll give them to you as long as you bow before me in worship. Now, people have asked before, what sort of temptation is this? Our Lord is king of everything. But remember, this is the reason why our Lord came. He came to restore and to reconquer what Satan has unjustly in his power and hands, because he is prince of this world. But in order for our Lord to reclaim what is rightfully his, he must use a weapon, and the weapon is the cross. You see, the temptation of Satan at that particular moment was, you can have these kingdoms back without the cross. Our Lord would not do that. There is no conquering without the cross of our Lord. Let us therefore remember that we must topple the devil from our own hearts. For only if sin is removed is Satan's tyranny truly ended in us. And the power of the cross is especially shown in the sacrament of confession. To use that sacrament frequently in this new year. So that we can crush the serpent's head and kill this tyrant within us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.